Well, this is Joey Brandon. Welcome to another Axiom Podcast. This is episode 53. And with me today, I have Devin Dash, who's here pretty much all the time. I live here. You live here. It's been a pretty good week so far. Yes. So good. So we're at the end of the week recording on a Friday. It's always nice to have podcasts on Friday afternoon. We also have the benefit of our colleague from Tampa here today, which is a special treat, Cameron Earhart. Yes. Hi, everyone. Excited to be here. Yes. And... And that gets us to our special guest. So we have the privilege of working with lots of business owners, um, and a few of them indulge us in, in coming onto the podcast and giving us the benefit of their years of wisdom and insight. And today we have a very wise, wise soul, and John Goda. And John wow. has uh, been a friend for a long time. Excited to have him here. So John, welcome. Well, thanks, Joey. Thanks for having me out here. I don't know about the wise, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see what we have we'll anyway. <laughs> Well, John, uh, for those of the, those of our listeners who don't know you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your team and what you guys do. Sure. Well, I'll start personally. Uh, John Goda, and I have the privilege of running RTI Insurance Services. Uh, we've been in Florida since uh, 1997. Been married way over my head for 27 years now. Have uh, five kids plus two, so that keeps us often as well. And at RTI Insurance Services, we're basically buyers of insurance for corporations and for individuals. We help uh, consult and align their interests with those of the insurance marketplace. So pretty much every time we have, uh, when our team talks internally and we say, like, who should we have in the guest lineup for podcasts, uh, we don't just pick people at random, you know, based on availability or, like, who we know. We are looking for different people who have specific uh, skill sets or bodies of experience. And when our group uh, started talking about having you on, John, the, there, there are two kind of uh, themes that came to mind. Uh, the first was kind of the collaborative CEO. Uh, your style, our, our team, we should say that, that our team has had the benefit of working with your team for about a year now. And uh, one of the cool things that Devin and I have witnessed during that time is just a very collaborative leadership style that you have. And so, you know, a lot of the stuff that we hope to get in today, we'll, we'll shed some insight into that. Um, but some of the other stuff is really about uh, one of the other major themes is early in our relationship, uh, you cracked this up one time when you said, I'm kind of like the accidental CEO. Like, I'm, I'm not sure. the guy that you ever expected to be in this spot. So explain that a little bit and give us like some highlights of your journey along the way and how you came to be in this spot. Oh, sure. I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've never aspired to this. I've, I've always aspired to have influence with people and work with people and try to help people become the best they can be. It just so happened that uh, I looked around one day and here I was. Uh, I started, uh, my, my journey towards this really started uh, at, at RTI up in Pittsburgh. And I uh, joined in 1995, met a phenomenal guy who's still my partner today up in Pittsburgh, John Felino. And uh, we had an opportunity to buy an agency in 1997, two years later down in Fort Myers Beach. Uh, I, I proposed a couple ideas and he said, go do it. So I flew down and next thing we know, we, we own a little sleepy agency in Fort Myers Beach, had three people. Then uh, 1999, we bought a little place in uh, uh, Bradenton, Florida. Uh, why Bradenton? I'd like to tell you Lakewood Ranch was going to develop. No, it was the Pirates spring training when we're Pirates fans. So. That's right, you're a big Pirates fan. Absolutely. So we had uh, we had our beach place and our baseball place, and I made the wise comment, hey, if we don't get beat on this, uh, this is going to work out pretty good. So we kind of ran it as a hobby. 
And uh, then all of a sudden, it, uh, it started to grow a little bit. And so somebody had to step up and try to figure it out. So that's when I, I started to come down here. And I had no aspiration of running the joint, but I just started to do it. And next thing I know, here I am. Um, it's, been a, it's been an interesting journey, if, uh, that's for sure. I've had a, a number of different milestones uh, along the way. So if we want to talk about that or not. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the highs and the lows. I mean, typically we, we read about the highs in people's bios and their LinkedIn profiles and all their achievements. They're a little bit more reticent to share the lows. But, yeah, I mean, like what, are, what have been some of the high spots and low spots? You're talking about a span of, you know, over 20 years Sure. Where you've been in this seat, and I'm sure I know we've seen a lot in you know macroeconomic during that time. But there's also probably specific. Absolutely, no. It's I think uh, it's really been transformational for me. And I, the person you see sitting here today is not the person that I used to be. Hmm. Um, coming in and trying to become a leader, I, I is new to me. I had to try to figure it out. And I, I will say, when I first started, I did it all wrong. Um, when we started to go, grow, I mentioned like 2001, 2002, we, we started to grow. And we continued to grow. We continued to invest. Uh, we became an Inc. 500 company. At one point, we were the fastest growing insurance agency in the nation. Wow. Um, and if you would have talked to me at that time, I, I was good at business. Just ask me, I would have told you that. Uh, so uh, yeah, humility was not my strong point back then. Um, being collaborative, and I appreciate that. I, I try to be very collaborative today, but that was born of the experiences of before. I was, I was not collaborative. Mm. I was very task dominant. Uh, we were gonna go and we were gonna grow, and it, uh, it was the, hey, wait for me, I'm your leader type of scenario as, as we grew, and, and, and we paid the price. Um, we were growing, but we had rapid turnover, rapid turnover, and it, it just, it, it, it at the end of the day, it just wasn't sustainable. And what ended up happening is while we were growing and while we were having the really good economic success, I was working 70, 75 hours a week. I had young kids at home. But my identity was just wrapped up in being the CEO of this business. I'd never done it before. I wanted to do it. And I was going to be the best one ever. And I was going to take on the world. Well, I think... Uh, you know what happens here when God has a little different plan for you sometimes. And in 2008, the, there was a downturn, if you remember, in this area. Well, of course, I thought, what a great opportunity to grow. So we, we doubled down and started investing, opening up even more new offices because of the rest of the cowards out there. They, <laughs> Yeah, we see where this story is going, right? Okay. So, uh, But anyway, so we, we, we just kept trying to grow, and then it, it, the market continued to constrict constrict. We had just built a brand new building here in Lakewood Branch, which was going to be the monstrosity, um, 20,000 square feet. And with my ego at the time, I thought that wasn't even going to be big enough. And we were going to take on the world and take on the Southeast. And uh, well, it, it, things had a, a different way. We had clients starting to go out of business. Our revenue decreased. At, at one point, our revenue dropped by over half. Um, we had to close offices. We had to get rid of people. Um, our building went into special assets with the bank. Um, my personal, I was out tapped, my, my personal line of credit was tapped out to, to the extent I could. Um, we were relying on my partner in, in the Pittsburgh office for a while. 
but that that money ended up drying up. But through it all, I just had the sense that something was going to happen. I think God was speaking to me. Something was going to happen. So I still was at peace. But there were days that I didn't know how we were going to make payroll. Uh, there were days I just didn't realize it. The, the worst was one day the waste management guys come up and they, they repoed our dumpster from in front of our building. <laughs> so <laughs> I gather everybody in the conference room. <laughs> it's going to be okay. <laughs> you know, it's a, okay. Um, but, but I did tell everybody that, hey, let's just try to run through this. Um, we had made some cuts. I said, uh, uh, just stick with me. If, if, if it, it's going to go dark, I will let everybody know in enough time but just stick with me. And we had a lot of people stick with us who are still with us today. And, 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 and through it all, though, I still had this peace. And it started to get worse, and it started to get worse. And, and with my identity being wrapped up in being this great CEO, this fast-growing CEO, I felt like an absolute failure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I went into maybe a little mini state of depression and started losing weight, started stressing out. And it was, I remember... Uh, that uh, uh, July 4th, and my wife said, hey, come up with me. We're going to go to Indianapolis. And I said, I don't want to go. I need to stay here. I need to work. I need to figure this out. She goes, you're going to come bust if you don't. So we went up there, and prior to that, there was an agency up in our agency in Pittsburgh, and a a bank wanted to buy our agency, uh, but they wanted us to get rid of Florida at the time, and that wasn't, we weren't going to do that, so we told them it was a no deal. Well, that bank went down the road to fight in a different acquisition. It got called off at the 11th hour. So they were hung at the altar. And I learned something about publicly traded companies, that when you say you're going to make an acquisition, you tell your shareholders you're going to make an acquisition, you have the funds to make an acquisition, you better make an acquisition. (laughs) A lot of people are going to be disappointed. So they, they came back to us because they already had the due diligence done. They said, okay, you can keep Florida. And, 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 and so this was, this was going on while I'm going up in Indianapolis. And, and I remember just like yesterday, I have 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm stressed out. I can't sleep. So I start walking through. Uh, my my uh, wife's sister lives on 600 acres. I start walking through the cornfields. It's like out of a movie, right? And, and I start yelling at God about, like, how does this happen? How did I do this? I have five kids, uh, I'm going to foreclose, I'm going to have to file bankruptcy, I'm going to have to figure out how to get a job, I'm going to, what's going to go on? And right then, you know, God very, very clearly spoke to me. He said, I've been preparing you for something else. I've been preparing you for something bigger, but I had to take you down into the valley to get you to have the character I needed you to have so that you can rise to the level I want you to rise to. And that's really when I think waiting on the Lord, what it means and what it meant to me that I needed to learn humility. I needed to learn what a balanced lifestyle was. And it became very clear to me. He kind of said, hey, you want to try it my way now? But it wasn't until I let go of the rope and in my yelling to God, it said, okay, I'm done. I'm out. Whatever it is, I'm, I'm with you. Because during the whole time, my ego was wrapped up in how good of a business person I was. Not that I was ever a bad guy, but definitely who I was on Sunday was not who I was on Monday. Mm-hmm. And so we came back, and this was July 4th. As um, soon as we get back, the bank makes us an offer. At that time, as you know what was going on, everything was selling at a discount. The offer that they offered us probably would have been higher 
than what we would have accepted. Hmm. So needless to say, let's, let's, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go back, we'll talk a little bit, but let's not blow this. The bank bought uh, uh, our agency, we got funds, we were over a million dollars in debt with the business, my personal line of credit was out. I pull into the office, this happened on August 1st, right after July 1st, I pull into the office on August 2nd, we paid off our debts, we paid off our line of credit, we paid off all our vendors, and it was like keys to the car again. We got a business. They brought the dumpster back even. They, they, we have the dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one thing, they did drag some trash across the place just to, just to let us know. But I, I walked in and I'm thinking, wow, this is really cool. And, and so from that day, I said, you know what? I, I'm not going to do it my way anymore. There's going to be, it's a new sheriff in town. And quite frankly, I love the term collaborative CEO and I am certainly the CEO. But I prefer the term steward now because I'm just, I'm just running... God's business, God's way, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be the person that He wants me to be, and I'm going to do try to do things. So I have a, a radical shift. Um, it's fun if we go out and hear stories, talk to my wife about the way I used to be versus the way I am now, and it's a, it's a lot different. But it was born of that experience. Mm-hmm. So as as we sit here today, there was a day that uh, it was pretty dark and bleak, and uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, I mean, that was worth millions of dollars, but I wouldn't give a nickel to go back there again. (laughs) (laughs) That's what's funny. Like, I I think so many uh, business owners have that experience of being in the Valley. And I've been thinking of one of our clients in particular who uh, Devin and I sat down with them one day and said, it's really important for us to understand why you do what you do. Why, what motivates you to do what you do? And a lot of the, the things that we were hearing, like thematically from them, were about putting other people first, putting other people first. Putting a, and it was at this table uh, that the business owner with his son sitting next to him, who's taking over the business, um, said, well, he went back to a time in the valley. He went back to a time when he was on the, he was in, basically in bankruptcy. And uh, there were a lot of people that, that didn't get paid. And it took him years, and I don't know if he ever was able to go back, financially able to go back and repay everybody, but I think he did a lot, or maybe all, or maybe most. But uh, what came out of it was a promise that he made to himself, if we're ever able to do this again, everybody else will get paid first. I will, I will always be at the end of the line, because I never want to go through this again. And um, like you said, and the, the thing that kills me is you, you, we ask people, you know, like, What's your biggest regret, you know, in business? And, and people always give the answer, like, oh, I don't have any regrets. I'm like, well, you're an idiot, right? Because <laughs> if, if you're saying that there's nothing, knowing what you know now, there's nothing you would have done differently then, like, you're not a very good student. Right. And it reminded me the statement you just made of, like, it was worth millions of dollars, but I would never, ever want to go back to those days. I mean, I think there's a, I have my own story of 2010, 2011, uh, and the, kind of some things you said bring back memories I have of being the guy who was all about the business while the wife and the and the young kids were at home going like, well, what about us? You right, know, and right, just, right. And, and almost having my marriage fall apart, essentially having it fall apart and having to put it back together again. 
um, which made me a much better, um, much better leader when it comes to to shepherding and stewarding the, the marriages of, of these guys around the table and other Absolutely. team members. Um, and was that experience valuable to me? Yeah. Do I ever want to go back there? No. I get a little twitch, you know, every now and then just thinking sure. about it. But that's a great – So I really appreciate you sharing that with us. It's very transparent. Yeah, I'd like to go back and just kind of get you to elaborate a little bit more. You, you talked about influence and – Early on, it sounded like your influence came from a more, you know, authoritative perspective. Sure. You know, you were you even use a different language word now to describe your role as a leader. You know, earlier you were comfortable with the the CEO term, and influence came with a, you know sort of a mandate. Yeah. You know, hey, you're going to do this, and in this experience changed your your perception of influence. Absolutely. So how did how did it change? And you know, even kind of. Share, share more about the difference now between CEO and steward. I sure, absolutely. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, being a steward is, I don't own it. You know, I look to God to, to, to run things. But uh, I still exert, uh, I still am CEO. I still make the calls. I still have people. But it, it's a completely different place. And, and now, to me, CEO means more th- chief enthusiasm officer. I love coming in and bringing my enthusiasm. My enthusiasm inspires others to be enthusiastic. If I'm lukewarm, they're going to be lukewarm. You know, when my team is not engaged or functioning now, it's, it's my fault. If I have the right people, it's, it's my fault. Yeah, I need to cast a better vision. I need to be more compelling. And I think part of that is the difference between what's a manager. I used to be a manager. And now I'm a coach or a leader, coach leader. You manage, you know, and objects. If you have the right people, you don't have to manage them. You lead them, you coach them. You can manage payroll, you can manage inventory, you can manage types of things like that. But you, people, people need to be led. And I think I learned that the four most compelling words any leader can, can ever say is, I believe in you. People, people want to be inspired. People want to be something bigger than themselves. Uh, and I think being a role model is the most powerful form of educating. Not, not telling people what to do, but doing that. And, and you know, if, if you don't mind, uh, I'll tell you another story about my, my, my dad. My dad is the one who kind of taught me that about influence because he did. He was a do-as-I-do dad, not a do-as-I-say. He didn't speak much. Uh, my dad was born of the Depression, never graduated from high school, climbed telephone poles for a living, put three, three kids through college, first generation going to college. Um, but my dad just had a way of looking at things that he was always positive and he was always a role model and he never had to say anything. But when he did, it was pretty insightful. And I remember one day, you know, little little guy and dad gave me a chore to do. I don't know what it was, maybe going out and raking the garden and setting up the rows, right? So what do I do? I go out and I do it real quick because I want to go run off with my buddies and play baseball or do something. So one thing my dad always did, what my dad would expect, he'd always inspect. So I'd, I'd always have to, after every job, come and grab him, and he'd, he'd look at it, and he'd kind of walk around and, hmm, huh, hmm. Well, I guess you could make those rows a little straighter, and I guess you could have this. And then he'd put his arm around me, and this happened quite frequently, and he goes, you know, John, for, for most boys, this would be a good job, but you're my son, and my son can do better. So go and make me proud. See, he understood something. He could criticize the performance, 
but still praise the performer because he knew the he knew the job needed criticism but he desperately knew that his son needed his praise and he would inspire me to become the best that I could be he, he didn't have to get negative about it he would just use inspirational and, and so I try to be like him now and I just try to inspire people if you have the right people I believe in you let's go do this this is what we need I'm on your side let's make it work sometimes it doesn't mm -hmm. but uh, we're, we're in this together that we're trying to help people become the very best they can be it, I, I really like what you said because it's it's opposed to what we often hear and there's different words for it like I've heard it called like the Oreo method or whatever mm -hmm. it's like praise criticism praise or something like that but what you're saying is it's not praise criticism it's simultaneous affirmation and and truth sure right it's like you the criticism is necessary but there's no reason that that stand, that has to stand opposed to affirmation of the individual which is different from in my mind it's different from praise that 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 praise criticism praise has always rang hollow and somewhat manipulative to me yeah me too of just a way of getting people to do what we want them to do or getting them to hear what we want them to hear uh, so I, I mean, I'm I'm writing this down and putting stars next to it. It's like you know, criticism and praise uh, is not really the answer. It's affirmation and truth, which Absolutely. are so compatible with each other. If if you really really care about somebody, then you want them to be the best they can be. It's I mean, it's it's that simple enough. I mean, you, you got to speak truth into people's lives, whether whether they want it or not. I mean. It, it, holding a people accountable to who God made them to be mm. it is uncomfortable at times. It really is. Um, but I don't want people to fail on my watch. At least not. I don't, I don't ever want that. It's, uh, you know, the, the, I try to earn the right to speak truth into their lives. Because I think if you're going to be a person of influence, you have to answer the fundamental question. Why should people listen to me? Mm -hmm. And... A true leader understands his power is only given by the consent of the governed. Otherwise, they'll do just enough, like it happened to me before. They'll do just enough not to get fired. They'll do just enough to get a bonus, just enough. But they don't live out of their identity. They don't give their all. They're not all in. And that's really, really what we want. Because it doesn't matter how well anybody really works. What matters is how well we work all together. And that's really what we're trying to do. So holding people accountable is actually helpful to everybody else on the team as well because that that's an important link because we're all independent but interdependent and it's my job to make sure that culturally everybody's all in all the time we can handle mistakes but what we can't handle is the lack of effort or the lack of uh, attitude as, as we bring to it everything well you, you also reference you, you talked about this role model Mm -hmm. idea like you have to earn the right to be heard and there's something that I've always believed about leadership is that it's it is 24 7 365 like it's impossible for you to be a good leader at work on Friday afternoon and a terrible leader Saturday morning at your kids baseball or soccer game like sure. there's a consistency in it that uh, if you're about the success of others, you're about the success of others all the time, whether you're on the clock or off the clock. And I think that idea of your role model and the idea that, I mean, I think you, as well as anybody understand as a CEO, 
there is somebody always watching. Amen. Everybody's always watching. You could you could be going out to dinner tonight with your wife, and you never know who's going to be three booths away who knows you, but you don't know them, and they're watching how you guys talk to each other. How you treat? Do you pull the chair out? Do you not? How do you speak to the server? You know, like, um, and that's not all. That's not something that everybody's comfortable with. You know, right. I think leadership is a calling. I think it's something that you have to be willing to sign up for that kind of, you know, public all on scrutiny all the time. But if you don't buy into that and you're given this managerial authority, I also like the distinction you made between management and coaching slash leadership, because if you don't buy into that always on mandate and you're given authority and responsibility, that's where we see you know, these huge, you know, sometimes public failings with extraordinary consequences, whether we're talking about religious leaders or business leaders or, sure. you know, parents who, you know, homes falling apart. And it's because, well, I want the authority or I want the responsibility, but only when I want to flip the switch and have people watching. Right, 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 right. It's all about character. You're absolutely right. Yeah, we've, we've kind of, I don't know, I, I say we, I don't know who we is, but I think it, there's a generality in, in our society, in our culture, where we've equated management with leadership. You're a manager in an organization, therefore you're a leader. But you can, you can manage a lot and have no relationship and have no leadership, influ- no, have, have no influence over other people. And so one of the things that's inherent in one that's not necessarily, in my opinion, not necessarily inherent in the other is the relationships. Sure. Right? And, you know, going back to this illustration with your dad, he was able to, to critique you or, or he was able to direct you and guide you and influence you right. because you were his son first. Right. You know, and in, in, in all our conversation so far, like, that's, that's the thing that exudes everything you say is the people. My, you know, meeting together, getting the people together, influencing them and making, the, you know, excited, getting them excited, being enthusiastic, um, believing in them. There's always inherent in that somebody else, another person. Sure. And, and not the tasks, the responsibilities, the daily you know, duties that maybe a CEO would do uh, have. You know, right. yes, you're an influencer. Yes, you have people that you're supposed to manage, but you're not just. You're not just managing them so that they do the tasks that they're required to do. You're, you're influencing them and leading them in a way um, because you're, you're focused on the relationship. No, I think you're exactly right, Devin. And it comes down to, to, in my mind, just authenticity with Joe, what you said earlier, who you are. And, and, you know, I have this one person mindset now where I was, I had to duality before. I'm just, I'm just me and I'm just me, whether I'm sitting at a boardroom with a bunch of CEOs or if I'm sitting at my kids' little league game, I'm, I am who I am, and I'm comfortable in my own skin. And, it, and when, you, when you're authentic, uh, it's, it wor- it's amazing how it works that it's good business. But I truly want people to be the best they can be. And I don't do it so that we can be the best business. I do it so they can be the best. And like you said, I, I, one of the greatest joys I have is watching people in our company develop to become better fathers, to become better mothers, to have better marriages, to belong to the community, to experience life, to, to, to have everything in abundance. And because if I think if you, you work out of your identity and you live out of your identity, 
then it just it just flows naturally, and then business will take care of itself at that point. And you're absolutely right. People are always looking, always looking, and because they they want to make sure that your words and your actions match. Because if they don't, it's just a bunch of writing on the wall. But when they see that the two kind of line up, that's when you earn the right to, to be able to speak truth in their lives. Because they realize at that point that you truly care. And why should you listen to me? The answer that's very simple is because I can help you get to a place that you cannot get on your own. That's the only reason you should really listen to me. And when people buy into that, now all of a sudden things just start to flow. Not that it's always easy, not that every day's great, not that it always works. It's easy on a podcast here to say this, but uh, you know, we still have our bumps and bruises, but that's certainly the intention. So there's a word that's kind of, it's been said a couple times, but it's kind of woven into a lot of this. And it's that idea of transparency. You know, so Absolutely. like, um, I, I think it, in my mind, there's some connection between failure and transparency, especially public failure and transparency. Because if you've publicly failed, like the, the veil has been lifted on whatever facade you were trying to create, that's gone, mm -hmm. right? Everybody can know about it, especially now and today. Like you, you can do a quick Google search and you can find pretty much every failure I've ever had from traffic tickets to you know, whatever. Sure. So, um, but that, in a sense, as painful as those moments are, they're what force us to be transparent. And I, and I think sometimes once forced, we realize, wow, this isn't, the world didn't come to an end. The sun still comes up tomorrow. Oh, and by the way, like people actually care about me. Yeah. You know, the, peop the people who are closest to me are still the closest to me. The people that were concerned about my success are also worried about how I'm doing when, when they see I'm failing. And I wonder, you know, I, in, a, in a perfect world, you know, people with better character than I, like they don't need the failure to be transparent. I needed the failure. Me like, too. I mean, and, and I think that's the common thread. I think as humans, as fallen humans who struggle every day to be in relationship with the God who created us, I think sometimes it requires the failure to force the transparency to, to let us realize, you know what? We, we are who we are. God still loves us. Our family still loves us. The sun will come up tomorrow. Why don't you just be real with the people who are around you? And that and this goes, this is, this is whether you're talking about CEOs and leadership roles or whether you're talking about people that you play church softball with or, you know, whatever. But I've seen over and over and over again how that public failure, as painful as it is, then liberates people to, to start a whole new life being transparent. And the depth of relationships that are able to be created on the other side of that because people get to see, hey, you're just a human being. You're not better than I am. You don't pretend to be better than I am. Absolutely. I want to be around you. Well, you know, again, I, back then, my identity was wrapped up into my role. That's who I was. I was good. I was really good. I read my press clippings. <laughs> I still have my press clippings. <laughs> I look at them occasionally. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but, but, you know, it, it, what I learned through this as I went through my transformation was my roles are just, just that. It's just what's, what I do. It's not who I am. CEO isn't who I am. It's just what I do. I mean, I am who I am. And when I, the car pulls in the driveway at the end of the day, I used to learn. I used to come home as the CEO and act as the CEO <laughs> in my home, too. I, it just kind of worked that way. Yeah. And uh, it, now I pull in and I pull into the driveway, and I'm no longer CEO. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a husband. I'm a father. And and, and th again, those are things I do, but my identity isn't wrapped up into any of those. So 
I can have failure in my roles, but my identity is still secure. Right. Aren't families great that way? Because you come home as the CEO, and then nobody has a problem asking the CEO to walk the dog or clean the toilet. Or, you know, like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. Well, let's talk for a second about um, what does day-to-day life look like for you? You used a, a couple of words earlier, chief encouragement officer. Sure. Um, so, like, what is, what, how would you describe every, uh, every CEO we've talked to seems like has a, especially in the small business landscape, they're so different. It's one of the things we love about them is they're so varied. And we find that the day-to-day picture looks a little bit different for everybody. So what sure. is the day-to-day, what, is, what does a week or a day look like for John? You know, and every, especially in our business and probably most people, every, every day, every week's a little bit different. And that's part of the excitement of it. It's you, you walk in, you have your plan on what you want to attack. And some days we, we get it done, some days we don't. Sometimes we get interrupted, but it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you keep your eyes open for divine interruption sometimes. And, and, and so I, I keep my eyes open for, for that. I mean, I think, you know, it commands in the Bible that, you know, leaders are supposed to know the, the status of their flock. And so I always try to keep, keep a pulse upon that. But, you know, my, my day is, is comprised of basically doing two things. You know, number one, I want to work with people, reach out, touch people to make sure they know that, that I'm here, that I believe in them. I try to find and I try to catch people doing things right because what gets measured gets done. What gets rewarded gets done. And so I try to really look to find people doing things the right way. And my job is to set the vision and to set the culture. Um, I didn't say this, another person said it, but I like to own the tone. That's my job as the company. We, I own the tone of how we interact with clients, how we interact with people. And I can't expect anybody in my company to, to work with my clients any better than I work with them. So I need to pour into them and invest in them. A, in training for the business, but also just outside of business. What's, what, when they walk in every morning, what are they bringing with them? Is there something outside of this, these four walls that's impacting their performance? And if so, is there something I can do to help with that? So my, I try every day trying to, different people, more with our leadership team now and in trying to get them to become and replicate and they can work on their teams, but to pour into them to try to make people's lives better. That's number one. Then number two, I try to also be functionally excellent at my job because again, it's that role model. Um, I would like to think that people would listen to me specific industry advice because of my position, but I would never want that. I want you to listen to me if we have a specific industry issue because I know a lot about it, the industry. If if you have a sales issue, I've been in the sales world before. We have a claims issue, I've I've adjusted tough claims. So I try to always be functionally excellent in our business. And so with that, I still sell, I still have clients, I still work all the different avenues of the business because I want to be functionally excellent and be a positive role model on what excellence looks like as a person in the business as well. So you said uh, own the tone. So I want to go back to the first sure. kind of theme you said, and I've heard I've heard variations of that of like, are you the thermostat or are you the thermometer? Right. Exactly. So 
Um, I think everybody gets that. What are some of the practical things you do to, to be the thermostat instead of the thermometer? You know, I think much the same way we talked about how you and I both got humbled and how that kind of turned around. I try to keep an eye open to what somebody might be going through because that could speak volumes to them to try to help them from, from a tone. Maybe it's a client uh, that's getting grouchy with them and they're, they're getting worked up a little bit. Uh, maybe things don't go their way and one of our sales guys didn't get the big sale he's talking, he's, he was hoping about. Um, you know, maybe we have an issue that uh, we made a mistake and now we got to own up to it in front of a client and have a big time, bad time conversation and own up to it. And I think it's at those times that the authenticity has to come in. Day to day, it's kind of easy, but if you can find a time where people are going to be more receptive mm -hmm. to listening, I think that's the time that we can really speak truth into people's lives and to really give some counsel and, hey, it's going to be okay. And it's almost like exactly what my dad did. Hey, you know what? Yeah, we screwed up. And, and, and guess what? Yeah, I'm going to be critical of you right now. But, but I'm still going to tell you I believe in you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to still tell you that your best days are ahead of you. you know, one mistake does not denote who you are. We all make mistakes. I've made, and I'm very, very visible about some of the mistakes that I've made. And so really the, the tone, culture, I think, is, is born through adversity. Culture is born when it's not easy. What do you do when you make a mistake and it's gonna cost you $25,000? What do you do? Yeah. That's culture. Because guess, make, make no mistake, we just had one of those. It was not an easy, it, it was easy decision. Because when your priorities are straight, decisions become easy. Right. But it was a painful thing yeah. to do. But you know what? I'll tell you what, that set our culture ahead. Because guess what? That's one of our core values. We do the right thing no matter what, mm -hmm. period. And responsibility is another one of your core values, Absolutely. which fits right there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I love the idea of you know, culture at times of adversity or what build culture, because sometimes people will come to us and they'll you know, be like, so how do, we, how do we create a healthier culture? And what they seem to have in mind is like, can't you guys come in and do like a workshop or give us a tool <laughs> or something like that? And, you know, you can do that stuff to educate people on the elements of culture. You referenced a couple of them. So like, do we have any non-negotiable values sure. that are, you know, they're not just ephemeral, like we all think we know what they are. They're defined, they're in writing, they're on a wall, they're on my desk, they're, you know, and, and these, th these three or four things are non-negotiable in the business and everybody knows exactly what they mean because we've taken the time to define them as, as they are at RTI or as they are at Axiom. So like there's stuff like that that you can, that you can cover in like an educational sense and there's, you know, there's an activity that we have to go through to get those things in writing and, and understood and communicated. But one of the things we've all said is the way that we build culture is to get those things in place and then go do some hard work together. Absolutely. Like, let's go do something shoulder to shoulder because we're going to run into things where we have to confront each other. We're going to run into mistakes we've made that other people have to clean up our messes. And the thing that's going to dictate our culture is do we handle those things in accordance with our values? 
or do our values only mean something when things are going well or when we're sitting in a workshop and there's no risk and saying oh yeah that's a great value we we like that one but when it's uh, when our values responsibility or when our values integrity and always doing the right thing no matter what and doing the right thing no matter what's going to cost us $25,000 that's a culture moment absolutely no without a doubt and, you know and it gets back to what's what's your definition of success right it, it was very clear what my definition was before. More is better. Let's go. Let's keep growing. And that, that was there. Now it's, it's you know, our, our definition of success is very, very simple. It's, it's, it's living in our mission, achieving our vision consistent with our values. And everything else from there can flow. Yeah. If we can do that, everything else will flow from that. Well, on the functional excellence front, um, I think that's something, too, that also rings true with a lot of our CEOs. Just if for no reason, another reason out of necessity, most of them are still owner operators, meaning like there are still functional elements of the business that are squarely on their plate, whether that's sales or operations or, or general management of a particular department. Um, like, what do you find? Obviously, you're accomplished in the career. You've been doing this a long time. Is it just adding to the body of experience that helps you build that functional element, uh, functional excellence? Is it continuing to to sharpen the saw? Like, what are some of the things that you do as a CEO? Because, and the reason I ask is because more than pretty much any other position in a company, yours is the most time constrained with the most demands sure. on it from other people. So in order for you to still have to have clients and be able to sell well and know, keep up with what's going on in the industry requires you know, pretty good commitment to time and task management. So how do you do it? It's tough. And you know, it's, it's very difficult. Time management's probably the biggest thing you deal with every day, trying to get what's, what do you prioritize? And how do you live a balanced life? And how do I invest in people? But how do I still take care of my clients? And and it's it's difficult, but it but it can be done. It can be done. And you, I start every day seeking wisdom. And I I I, uh, I do my my list. I pray over my list every day. I pray for. I pray that uh, I'm going to be who uh, who I'm meant to be. I'm going to do what I I, I I'm supposed to do. And I think the, that that favor of God it, it helps. I mean, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And then I so I don't want to be so tied into my plan because I still have that tendency of having my plan. As I I'm a reformed workaholic, so I mean I can easily I can easily fall back into it. Uh, um, but I don't want to be so tied into my plan that I don't get the nudging from the Holy Spirit or something of something that I need to be doing. So, but getting back to the functional excellence, to me, functional excellence is just being a student, just continuing to learn, continuing to learn from when you do things right, learn from when you do things wrong, learn from other people, um, talk to more people, uh, and, and do a lot of self-evaluation. You know, at the end of the day, I, I do, I, I, I grade myself every day. What did I do right? What did I do wrong? What can I do better? What can I learn? If I'm going to lose, don't lose the lesson. And that's typically, unless I'm on the phone, that's my drive home. Um, but at some point, in the, at, the, at the end of the day, I always grade my day and try to take a couple things. Because if you can do that and you do that every day, now you're gaining traction. Now you're moving ahead. 
you don't have the proverbial 20, you know, 20 years of experience one year, you know, one year of experience 20 times. <laughs> right. you, you, you actually gain traction and you go ahead. So to me, being functionally excellent is nothing more than being a student and learning from your mistakes and learning how to do things better. And then also really working on trying to understand what each person is. It's not a one-size, just like in, in trying to motivate team members, it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's the same with clients. It's not a one-size-fits-all. What are they looking for? What do they need from me? And being able to understand that, communicate that with them so that I'm delivering on what they want. Uh, we use a word in our business a lot that's called mutual mystification. That's when I'm thinking one thing and you're thinking another. <laughs> and we both think we're doing what we should be doing, but we're not. We're missing. So I think it's very, very important that... that uh, we have the emotional intelligence, probably more than anything else, to kind of understand what our true north is as we're dealing with each person. And functional excellence is going to be different for each one of my clients. It's going to be different for each one of situations I have. It's going to be different how I deal with each person. I deal with each person completely differently because they need something different from me in order for them to be the best. Some people... Uh, are more the they need the more the kick in the butt mm-hmm. type of role, and they they you know the personal trainer and get this done and let's go and they need pushed. Others you know need more the pat on the back. Some people just need to leap, listen to, I, I, but I have to f- figure out what that role is, and then perform that will, role. And it's no different with clients too. Yeah. Some of our clients want everything they want it now. Some for some of them. Want, want things in a different type of format. So I, I need to, uh, I'd say emotional, emotional intelligence probably allows me to manage my time the very, very best because I'm doing things that truly matter instead of just doing things and hoping it's good enough. Hope, hope, is, hope is a terrible strategy. <laughs> so you mentioned a couple things here. And uh, you mentioned this this discipline of grading your day. Yeah. And then you also just mentioned this, the discipline or even the skill of emotional intelligence. So what other skills and like, where did you, first of all, where did you, did you learn grade your day? Did you, did somebody influence you in, in your life in that way or? You know what? I, I, I don't know where I picked that up from, Devin. I, I try to learn from, from so many people in the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. Um, I belong to several groups that help. Um, you know, I've been, I'm in a C12 group. Uh, I'm involved in other small groups. Um, I try to talk to as many people as I can. Fortunately for me, I have a lot of very successful clients, and I ask them questions all the time about their business and how did they become successful and what would they do in this situation. And, and, and so with that, I try to glean from different people what I can glean and apply. So... I try to learn as much as I can from as many people as I can. And uh, I'm not sure where I picked that up, but I picked it up from somebody, and it, uh, it seems to work pretty well. <laughs> what other skills have you had to develop um, in order to be like the collaborative steward or collaborative CEO? You know, I think, you know, nothing, nothing spells leadership more than how you lead yourself. And it gets back to that role model. And, and not to go over ground again, but you can't expect to lead others if you can't lead yourself first. And you have to be that role model. You have to be that 
culture always, always precedes results in my mind. It's, it's, it's just the, the, the way it is. And so the skill set, quite frankly, is more than anything else, is just showing up every day and doing the work and being consistent with who you are, with what you do. And if you can do that over time, little by little becomes a lot very, very quickly. And it takes a lifetime to build a reputation and only moments to blow it. So just, you just got to be consistent every day. And I don't think there's any secret sauce to it. It's, it's just, you just got to be you and you got to be there and you got to be present and you got to be where your feet are. Hi, this is Joey Brannon. I want to take a quick time out just to tell you a little bit more about Axiom and the work that we do. We work with closely held businesses on strategic growth. What that means is that we come alongside the business owners, we help them get clear about where their business is going, and then we engage their leadership team to build plans for growth and then execute those plans. If you're a business owner and you're trying to grow or you're looking for future growth, or maybe you're just trying to manage the current growth that you have and you're looking for some help, you want somebody to come alongside you to give you the tools, to show you what accountability looks like, to build the skill set of your team so that you can step away from the business while it continues to grow, give us a call. You can find more information at axiomstrategic.com. One of the things that uh, you know, collaborative CEO uh, is, it's, it sounds great, um, but we, we've also seen it used as a crutch you know, for not making decisions or, sure. you know, or for not making hard decisions or not having hard conversations. So um, as, as you've been somebody we've witnessed who has not been known to do that, right? It's like, like right. We've, we've seen you step in and lead very decisively. How do you strike that balance between giving people uh, genuine voice because you, you want them to be involved and it really is a kind of a collaborative leadership team that you've built and an organization that you've built, but there are times where it's because of risk aversion or because, you know, we're, we're too comfortable with the status quo or maybe you just know something they don't you know, because of, of sure. your years of experience in the industry or your knowledge of industry. Like, how do you know when to step in and be like, I know you guys are having a hard time with this, but we're going, or I know you want to do this. And 90% of the time, you guys are making decisions in lockstep in a kind of more collaborative role, but how do you know when to break and when to be like, this is where we're going? That's a great question, and, and I wish I had a great answer for you. <laughs> then I'd be 100% on all my decisions. But, but no, you... you at the end of the day, if, if, if you're going to be the steward, if you're going to be the CEO, you have to be that. And, and I am very, very collaborative, and I want to be collaborative. I think the best decisions get done based on collaboration. And we want people to speak up. We want to have folks speak their mind. We, 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 healthy conflict is, is very, very good. That's how good decisions get made. And so we definitely want that, and I encourage that day to day. Um, most of the time, we do a lot in lockstep, but you're absolutely right. Sometimes I just got to step back and say, no, we're going to do it this way. And it's not the me, me boss, you not. Mm-hmm. It's, I just think we need to do this. Here's why I think we need to do this. And oh, by the way, we're doing this. 
<laughs> and, uh, and and every once in a while, now our team kind of goes, "Is this one of those moments that we just?" <laughs> yes, you know, discussion is this, ended now. This is not a collaborative moment. Let's yeah, so, and and every once in a while, you just have to do that because, at the end of the day, it's your responsibility to get it done. And at the end of the day, it's your responsibility to make sure that the team is functioning. And you're right. It, when you're sitting in the CEO seat, sometimes you know things that other people don't know. You see the, the field from a little bit different, um, especially if you have been have a little more experience. You just, I've been there before, I see what's coming around the bend, we don't wanna go around this bend. I understand it looks great, but I've been there before and we get ambushed when we go around the bend. So <laughs> guess what, we're not gonna do that. And, and I think you do need to break. And, but I think when you do break, you have to explain the why. Because I want people to know that even though we're not, I may not be taking their collaboration, their collaboration is still very important. And I've made times where I've said we're going to go do something and we've, I've varied from the collaborative effort and it's failed. And, and I take personal ownership for that. And that, those are times where culture is, you guys were right. You know, I'm sorry not to cut you off, um, but it does, it does seem like there's a, there's a difference between uh, a CEO who is always giving that mandate. Right. When you invite that feedback and you invite that collaboration from your leadership team, it's much, it's probably easier, and maybe we're biased because the topic of the podcast, but it seems easier to have that consistency and, hey, we're, I'm a collaborative CEO. I'm going to rely on the skills, the abilities, and the knowledge of my team to make decisions because healthy conflict and healthy conversation and discussion around a decision is better. And then that's, that's easier to maintain. When, and, and then when there's a decision that needs to be made that is mandated, you're not going to lose the faith of your the faith of your team. Right. You're not going to lose the buy-in. But if you're always a CEO who's saying, "Hey, this is the direction that we're going," just do your best in your area to help us get there. When there's a time when you need the collaboration, it, it's less likely that you're going to get that buy-in. I mean, right. oh, no, absolutely. And and uh, there's, it's in in many places, it's tough to speak truth to power. It it just varies because what could ha- potentially happen to you when, when you do that. And, and we try not to, to, to do that. I mean, you know, we try to be, in fact, if you permit me one more story, there's this Jewish carpenter guy, he told a lot of stories, so I figure <laughs> I'm in pretty good company here. So. But, you know, it's really, you know, when we went on a mission trip, um, part of Love Serves, we went on a mission trip, and we saw how some of the people in the Dominican lived on, especially on Sundays when we went. And where we went, the poor people had outhouses. I mean, the rich people had outhouses. I mean, it was very, very poor. But every Sunday, what they did, they had this big pot of boiled water, and you just showed up, and if you had something, you threw it in the pot. If you had a carrot, you threw the carrot in. If you had, if you had uh, a potato, you threw a potato in. If you happened to have a chicken that day, then you put the chicken in. Whatever it was, you put it in, and they stirred it up, and everybody ate. And so with our collaborative effort, it's kind of the same thing. You know, when, be it one-on-one or be it four people or five people, what, everybody throws their ideas in to the pot and we stir it up. And, and sooner or later, the, the, the aim is nobody understands whose idea it was mm. because it, it really doesn't, getting it right is more important than who said to get it right. right. And if you can start building on that, that 
We're just going to put all the ideas in a pot. We're going to stir it up. And we're going to come up with the best idea. And there's no ego around the table as far as who I, whose idea it is. And so we try to really make sure that when we hit a strategy, it's a strategy that's born from collaboration. But really, there's there's no authorship on it by anybody. Yeah. I think that that uh, that idea of the best idea is the one that, that we adopt. It's given lip service, but I think what you're more likely to see in practice, when it doesn't work well, is that what what's really kind of being communicated is the smartest person's idea is the one that we're going to implement. And we fail to disjoint the idea from the identity of the person who contributed it. Sure. And that idea never goes into the pot separate from the person. You know, and so when we pull it out, it's like, well, whose idea did we pull out? And that's the person that's going to get the accolades or like even more detrimental, the person who's going to get, you know, poked holes in sure. be- because of the idea. And that's what kills that collaborative spirit. I mean, I don't know. I'd like to hear your thought. Like, what's how do you get to the point? where the ideas go into the pot separate from the identity of the person who put them in? Like, is it just a matter of, of doing it often enough that people learn we don't have to attribute ideas to people? Or is it, is it a, a way in which you, you have those conversations? Or do you tee the conversations up in a certain way so that the identity doesn't become part of it? I think it's a, I think it's a process of, it doesn't happen overnight. I think in, in a word, trust. Uh, is, is there has to be a high level of trust for that um, because when you pull out an idea early on and we know it's one person's idea and it fails, we don't go to that person with the, the I told you so idea. Right. We're, we're not a CYA culture. We're, not, we're, we're, we're in this together and we laugh together, we cry together. We win together, we lose together. But whatever we do, we do it together. If we're going to be collaborative, and so, Joey, in, in a way, the, the, the way you do it is just by doing it. And over time, people understand that if I contribute to the team, I'm going to end up doing okay. Because every person, what's in it for me, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's very natural. But what we've determined, at least within our leadership team, is that when the team does well, then everybody does well. And I've tried to go overboard and be irrationally generous to certain people to build that trust early in our relationship. Um, not even 50-50, you know, might be 100-0. And I try to, to do that to, to earn the trust where I will go do things for people over and above what might, sh- uh, should you know, be it from a time standpoint, be it from a compensation, or maybe it's from a grace standpoint, something screwed up. Hey, you know, I, I get it, it didn't go our way, but I saw exactly what you were doing, I saw why, you know, we're going to get the next one. And when people truly understand that you have their best interests, and it, this all weaves together our whole conversation today so far, is, is weaves, weaves together, is when people truly believe that you have their best interests at mind, in, in, in authenticity, culture, everything, then people are going to be authentic back to you. And we're very, very blessed that within our leadership team, we're all authentic to each other. 
we all know where we fail. We all know where we're good. Um, but we all are striving for the same goal. And we're all about trying to win. And it really doesn't matter who contributes the most because, you know what, this week I'm going to be heavy on my brother. Right. Next week my brother's going to be heavy on me. Yeah. And it, but, but if we're in this together, we shoulder each other's burdens and we uh, rejoice with each other. You think um, you've been around a while. You've been so doing old. this. So I'm old. Okay, I get it. I get it. <laughs> so we're getting into like the, some of the generational stuff, and I am I am not a proponent of like the millennial versus the Gen Xer. I was talking to somebody the other day. I'm like, you know what? It, everything we hear people say about millennials, you know, if, if I play the tape back 20 years the baby boomers were saying the exact same thing about me, you know, when sure. I was in my 20s. So I think part of it is just like every generation thinks the generation behind it has to earn their stripes and they need to have it as tough as I had it and that kind of stuff. But I am interested, um, given, you know, societal changes, given family demographic changes, given market changes, do you think that it takes anything different or special to be a small business CEO today compared to, say, 20 years ago? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think... You, you mentioned all the reasons on why. Um, technology has been one of the, the, the biggest things. Um, just even the demographics of how people have grown up. I mean, the experiences of a 21-year-old, 20, 22-year-old as they go through. I mean, you know, the iPhone is, is just amazing what it does. Everything's customized. Everything's here. All of a sudden, we get our answers in 13 seconds instead of what have you, the speed of business, the velocity of business. And maybe I am old. I used to have the roll of dimes in my car and had to use a payphone. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 uh, it and, and if you've never had those experiences, of course you're going to face business a little bit different. So I do think it's, it's a completely different mindset. And, and so the skill I think that, that a CEO has to adapt is what speak to the language of that person. And, and the question really becomes, when I'm talking to somebody and I'm facing and we're not, I'm not quite getting it, maybe with somebody younger or, or something, I have to figure out what's my default. And I find myself, am I first trying to be understood or am I first trying to understand? And if I can really get my point to a place where I'm just trying to understand, okay, why are we doing this? Where are we doing it? And a lot of times, there's a good valid reason on what. This is what I saw. This is where I'm at. And so we've had to adapt. Um, we've had to adapt with some work at home. We've had to adapt to technology. We've had to adapt to certain people working different hours or certain hours. Uh, but as long as we can get the outcome that we want to get, because at the end of the day, as I tell people, we're collaborative with this. It's still a business. Mm -hmm. um, and this is what we need. And we talk all the time. This is what we need from that chair. Now I'm with you. I'm your biggest coach. I'm your biggest fan. I'm bi your biggest supporter. I'm going to do everything I can to help you. But this is what we need from this chair. And if you can't give what needs to be in this chair, then you can't be in that chair. Because I can't have that because now you're hurting the rest of the team. And that's not fair to the rest of the team. So I'll, I'll be with you. So... I do think with the younger people, um, it, it, especially with the, the younger folks, um, it, you just need to treat uh, and understand where they're coming from. But at the same time, 
have great clarity on what the expectation is. And they may go about it different, and I'm okay with them going about it different, as long as we arrive at the destination I want to arrive at, and they understand. So we're very, very clear about what's, what's the destination. And I often say to, to them, you know, if, if you're going to be responsible for, for the dinner, I'm not going to tell you what groceries you should buy. <laughs> Just like that. It, it, if, if you want to go left on this and I want to go right, I'd probably do it a completely different way. But I understand that based on a lot of different things, and I think I'm blessed a little bit just because, you know, I have uh, I have some kids that are older, and I start talking to my daughter about something, and I'm thinking she's playing Angry Birds on her phone. But no, she's listening to me. She just takes notes on her phone. <laughs> that's just that's just what they you know. So, it, it, you know, and then same with we have a few folks in there, and literally we're in a we're in a room. It's not even a, a remarkable or a laptop. They're, literally, it's their phone. And they're taking notes on their phone. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way they go about it. And I'm okay with that. Again, so we, we, I think what you need to do is really get to the point of trying to understand why people want, reaffirm that, and as long as they can arrive at the destination, let them do it their way. I like it. Can you talk for a minute about, um, you know, like one of the things that I know from being a small business owner is that it is very much a family affair. Uh, my wife signed up to be a small business owner whether she wanted to or not, right? <laughs> so talk for a second about um, are there any special considerations or challenges that you think uh, you know, a CEO's family has to, to sign up for or deal with as a consequence of being married to the owner? Oh, absolutely. I think there's a special place in heaven for CEO wives. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, ab absolutely. And, uh, you know, again, I told you about what I was doing before, and I was the 70 hours a week, and I was, and uh, I don't think, you know, my, my wife is very supportive, has always been very supportive. I married way over my head, and she's allowed me to pursue my passions guilt-free. And so I'm very, very blessed in, in that way. But early on when I was doing all those things, you know, we still weren't living our best life. And there was still something that, that was missing. So I, I do think that it, it's very, very difficult. And that's why you have to be as intentional with your family as you are with your business. I think that's part of living a life that's capable of being blessed mm. that which it's the whole one person place again it, you know if i if i want to pray and i want to to say to god hey let me do things the right way that has to be at home as well as in business and when i pull into the driveway i have to mentally decompact and and say hey you know this is an important part of my day right now mm -hmm. i understand what i did just before was important, but this is probably even more important as, as when I walk in that door because when I walk in that door, my kids need a father. Mm -hmm. When I walk in the door, my wife needs a husband. My dog needs somebody to take it for a walk. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but no, you're absolutely right. And I think if you're going to be a CEO, you need to invest every bit more into your relationships at home as you do in your business um, I ran my business very, very, very tight and very tough early on, and I ran my marriage the same way, mm. and n neither worked, yeah. neither worked. So, 
Um, absolutely, I think it's I think it's a huge thing. Um, I think that having having the communication, you know, with your spouse um, is there. I think there's also great benefits of, of it too. I mean, there's pluses and minuses um, to to what it is that we do, but. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think uh, one of the most valuable people in our firm, although she doesn't work in our firm, is my wife because she she permits me to uh, to pursue things. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we get to work with across the spectrum of business owners and spouses, whether the wife is the owner and the husband's a spouse, or vice versa. And um, there's no one size fits all. Like there's they're involved to all varying degrees. To, you know, in some situations. One is the you know the name in the CEO spot, and the other is the chief operating officer or the CFO or salesperson, uh, all the way to the other end of the spectrum of like, my wife is there to support me, but she does not want to hear about what is going on you know inside the workday you know and and um, and I think being sensitive to like I feel like all of our, our our spouses need to be engaged in all parts of our lives the same way that they want us engaged in theirs and it takes like you said some emotional intelligence to discern to what degree should sure. i be intentional because i've seen business owners try to be intentional about pushing their spouse into involvement the spouse doesn't want right and then i've seen them be blind to the fact that their spouse wants involvement but there, there's no intention whatsoever to, to grant it. So have you guys been able to strike that balance over the years? Was it a give and take, or has it been pretty much given where yeah, she wanted it, her role to be in the business? Yeah, so it, it, it has, and, and it's evolved. Um, it's evolved as, as I've evolved. But uh, Amy ha- does ha- wants nothing to do with the business itself, anything to know about the business uh, she's a speech pathologist, and even when we come to, to other things, money, that's, you're, you're the business guy. Mm-hmm. And she just wants to be blissfully ignorant of those types of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you got it, run it, take care of it, and run it. But what she does like to be involved with is investing in people because mm-hmm. she has that same type of passion to try to help people. So a lot of times... Uh, when we have social outings, if we have a Christmas party, or even just with some employees, we'll go out to dinner. And she certainly likes to come along. And so she, she knows most of our people, and she knows them pretty well and has become friends with them. And quite frankly, has helped some, uh, some of them with counseling, either with kid issues or marriage issues or whatever. So she's come along. And so my discussion with her about the business is about the people. It's never about the business. Gotcha. How's you know how's Chris doing? Right. How's what's what's going on with him? And so, that that works for a pretty nice balance for us. Nice. Well, obviously, if if people haven't picked up on it yet, uh, you're somebody we consider to be very highly relational, right? And so that that obviously <laughs> suits you well uh, in a lot of the roles and responsibilities you perceive to be primary as CEO. I'm curious, do you find that that like very high relational bent, are there any drawbacks to it? Do you look at maybe some other peers or CEOs and, and maybe they don't share that same you know, relational skill set, but there's things that you looked at that they do that seem kind of easier for them and you're like, man, I wish, I wish that was as easy for me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think we all do. I think we all do that. But, uh, you know, being highly relational, um, I like everybody. 
So one of the best moves I ever did is when I fired myself as the operations person. <laughs> I would hire everybody and I would fire nobody. <laughs> so uh, we need to fire some, we need to hire somebody that uh, has a, a uh, better bend on those types of things. And so what, what I did is I said that I'm, I'm no longer going to be in charge of these platforms within our company. You know, um, I hired Eileen to, to come in and basically run the operations and to, to run um, the personal lines aspect, which at the time was our larger, our larger time. Um, our commercial lines were still at the time was pretty small. We've since developed that and, and built that out, but I've done the same thing with, with leaders there that I did here. And basically just uh, when people then would come to me, it was, it was very nice. I could then counsel them, and ba but basically say, you're in the wrong office. <laughs> right. uh, and, uh, but uh, you know, to, to, if Devin would come to me and say, hey, what about this? I said, well, let's tell me about that. Let me tell you, here's what I think Eileen's going to say to you. <laughs> right. And this is, if, if I were you, I would, I would approach it this way. Well, okay. I said, but at the end of the day, she's, I put her in, in command, and, and I also made a rule to her and, and to myself that if I'm going to put her in that role, I'm never going to second-guess this decision that she's going to make publicly. If there's something that needs to be done, and if we, I think we blew it, that'll be a closed door meeting, and we'll, we'll talk about it then. And we'll, but always publicly, you would always have 110 percent of my affirmation, because that is the role that you have. So it, it's I've been able to bring in people who have been able to cover my deficiencies, so that I can be the person that I want to be, and I don't have to be the person that I don't want to be yeah it's interesting i mean you you handed over the largest part of the business essentially to somebody else i mean i had to believe that was your baby at that time it was handed over um and I, I what i really like is that kind of covenant the two of you made or that you made to her of like i'm not going to second guess you publicly we will always be in lockstep as far as the public's concerned um how long did it take I mean, was there a period of anxiety? Uh, how long did it take for you to like to to truly be free of of worry about? Hey, my baby's over there and she's well taken care of now. Well, two things. Number one, I don't think there was ever too much worry because we had worked together for a while and I knew who she was and she's been for a long time very very confident. So I felt very very comfortable turning that over. Um, Quite frankly, the covenant we made, you know, early on, I broke it a few times. <laughs> right. And uh, she gave me grace <laughs> and grief. Uh, mm -hmm. but, uh, but I did, and, and I had to come to terms with that and become better for, for me and, and, and say, yeah, you're absolutely right, because it's, I said, we're both learning this together, but we're, we're to the point now that we, we have it. But now I felt pretty comfortable with, with her and what she did because. It, this wasn't a risky decision. She was very, very good at, at what she had done. And then as we started to grow our commercial lines out, we found a couple leaders, and, and I feel very, very comfortable in their skill sets and what they do as is, is well. I think, they're the, I think they're the right people. They're not me, and they're not going to make decisions the way I would make decisions. Right. In fact, they're going to do things differently than the way I would do them, and you have to be okay with that. 
at the end of the day, as long as we're arriving at the destination and we're arriving at the destination with the values and the way we want to operate, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, the, w how we do it and, and, and where we go is, is what's the important thing. Um, I, uh, fortunately, I, I, I emotionally can allow people to, to go about a different way and uh, understand that they are, they are. And because I want what's best for them too. And I had an opportunity to grow. I never want, aspired to be ECEO. I made a lot of mistakes early on. A lot of people gave me a lot of grace early on, <laughs> especially with my partner early on. And so I think I, uh, I owe it to them to give them the same. That's cool. When um, we kind of wrap up here, there's kind of two final questions so two, from two different perspectives. One, if, if we've got employees out there, people who are on a team, and uh, you know, not every CEO is as relational. Not every boss has this whole idea of my success is about your success. You know, and I'm only going to gauge mine relative to yours. Um, if there's somebody out there who's kind of struggling to relate to or connect with their boss, what advice would you give them? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, because again, it's it's about relationships, right? And without trying to go back over old ground, I think. Think the understanding that perception is reality to the, the the person who holds it, and it goes back to what's your default is when you're facing a, a misunderstanding with your boss or you're not quite there. Ask yourself the, the, what we said before: Am I first seeking to be understood, or am I trying to understand? First, go in with trying to understand and ask questions. Hey, can you explain this to me? I, I want to learn, I, I, you know, my, my goal is to get this done the way that you want. Help me understand so that I can be better, so that I can do this. And I think, again, as long as you have good people, if you go in with the try of trying to understand, you, you'll maybe recognize there is a method to the madness. Um, and if there's not, then that's a different discussion and a different story. If, yeah. Again, this assumes that both people are good people right. with good beneficial intentions towards each other. Right. Um, but I think you, you, it goes along. Trying to understand where the other person's coming from goes a long way towards building that relationship. And so to, to that person, uh, I would say always go in first with trying to understand. Once you understand then it's okay to go make your point to try to be understood. Yeah. It's kind of a good segue into the next question I had in mind, uh, which is, you know, if you've got a CEO out there who's listening and they're struggling with the burden of leadership, I sure. mean, it's one of the, the realities of the role is it's lonely at the top. Like there's, the, you when you guys speak, you speak with a megaphone. Like there's nothing you can say to your employees, to your team, that is of no consequence. Like if you go in, if you if you walk through the hall with a, a sad look on your face, people start assuming the company's going bankrupt. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so not again, <laughs> not again. <laughs> so, um, but that burden is real. You know that's that's one of the reasons CEO peer groups are so popular and right. so important. Um, but not all not all CEOs are involved in them. If somebody's out there listening and they're struggling with the burden of leadership and this idea, I've got to be always on. You know, I've, there's so much going out there. Like, I got to imagine, like, 
their employees are probably having a hard time connecting. And if they had an employee who just followed the advice that you gave, which is like they come to the, the boss like seeking to be under, you know, seeking to understand what the boss is going through. That's got to feel like an oasis in the middle of a desert for a CEO who's sure. just you know underwater. But what would you tell the CEO to do if they're if they're struggling, or what advice would you give them? That's that's a great question. Um, and and being a struggling CEO back then <laughs> and today is to two things. Number one, understand we all struggle. Everybody struggles. I struggle today with it. Um, Obviously, getting wise counsel, being part of a group of others that you're not alone in this. And sometimes I think when you're not alone, you know, getting peer counseling, um, I think is, is, is tremendous. But also understand, just because you're struggling doesn't mean you're failing. Hmm. Because a lot of times, it is, it is a struggle. Um, it could be you, maybe you're progressing because you're breaking through certain comfort levels. Leadership isn't just born on everybody. Nobody is, is born a great leader. We all develop it. It's, it's a skill set. Um, you know, it's, it's like the old, uh, here we go with stories again. <laughs> but uh, um, it's, it's like the, 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 the caterpillar, right? You have the caterpillar that's going around. It goes into the cocoon, right? What happens when it's in the cocoon? It's going through its metamorphosis. When, when the butterfly is trying to break out, right? It's flapping its wings and it's not, not able to break out, but it's, it's that struggle trying to break out that builds the strength of the wings. And if somebody were to come and cut the cocoon to let the butterfly out, the butterfly would fall flat on the ground and never be able to fly because it didn't go through the struggle of getting out of the cocoon to build up its wings, to build up its strength. So struggles make you stronger. Mm. Just don't give up. If, if, if you believe in it and you think you're on the right path with it, just go go with it. Seek counsel. Understand everybody's going through it too. It's the old uh, iceberg we've all seen. Everybody sees the success. Nobody sees the iceberg done on, underneath. Um, but it is. It's it's very very difficult. And but if you have a powerful why, if you know your why more than anything, then your why will carry you. I've always said a person with a more powerful why can withstand any how. I, if, if my why is powerful enough, if I want something more enough, if, you know, if my, my child's on the other side and my child needs my help desperately, I'll run through glass, I will run through fire, I will do what I have to do to help my child. Now, I normally wouldn't do that, but what's my why? Hmm. And if your why is powerful enough, connect with your why. Why'd you start? Why'd you go? And if you can connect with your why and then just live out of your identity, then just believe in yourself and it's gonna, it will work out, but you will struggle. But the, the butterfly moment will come. That's good stuff. I wanna switch gears for a second. Uh, and you've given us a lot of, I mean, I would say what we've talked about so far has, has been as much leadership, uh, like to use your word stewardship as as much as like a role of a CEO and what it looks like in practice um, and we admire and look up to you for that but we also rely on you <laughs> as a <laughs> as a very experienced technical resource so I would be uh, I'd be remiss if I let you go today without kind of tapping into your expertise in your in your field of, of insurance and risk management 
Um, so you know, before we before we go, I would like to pick your brain a little bit because the people that we're involved with are small business owners. Right? Sure. And these are the same people that you work with, and you've got insight into the industry that we don't have. Um, so just tell us for a second in terms of, of what small business owners might be facing, what's happening in the industry right now. I know it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it is. It's a crazy marketplace. And, you know, first, as a small business owner, I think understanding the role of insurance in the business. And, and quite frankly, insurance is just one subset of risk management. If you take a look at bigger businesses, bigger businesses all have a person called a CRO or a risk manager. Why do they have them? It's pretty simple. Every business owner wants the same thing. We want a reliable, steady stream of earnings. That's why you're in business. Monetarily, I mean, sure. there's other reasons, but the sure. business aspect is we all want a steady, consistent, stable stream of earnings. So where risk management comes in, and what the reason there are risk managers out there, is they help take care of all the unknowns. What are the curveballs that I can't hit because I can't see that are going to come at me from left field that can take me down? And that's what risk management is. So understanding that. If you are a business owner, buying a product is only one small piece of what you have to do to run a successful business. And unfortunately, too many business owners learn that painful lesson too late when their back's against the wall. Buying products are important, there's no doubt. I mean, let's face it, what's, what's insurance? All insurance is you're gonna trade a small portion of your expense on your income statement to protect your balance sheet. Hmm. That's all it is. Pretty, it that's a pretty simple equation. It, it's, it, that's all it really is. So we, and we all need to do that. But what are the other things that can come at us, that can take us down? And who do you have helping to consult with you to do that? Um, I have a, a good friend of mine who's in a, owns a, and a client. He owns a jewelry company. And, and he has a big sign that says there, you know, if you don't know jewels, know your jeweler. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I'm going to steal his. If you don't know insurance, know your broker. Mm -hmm. And you need to have good consultative advice, much the same way, I think, if you're going to be a small business to run, you need to have certain advisors on your team. You need to maybe have a banker. You maybe need to have an attorney. You need to have a tax counsel or an accounting person. And all those folks are there to try to help you navigate things to run your business successfully so that you can focus on your business. Well, insurance is no different. And having somebody that can sit there and tell you what you don't know. You know, and, and it gets back to what we talked about. What's, you know, why should you listen to me? Well, the reason why you should listen to me and, and as it relates to insurance is I'm going to tell you things about your business that you don't know. And I'm going to put in strategies that you can't do on your own. And if I can't do that, then we, there's no reason for us to be working together. <laughs> now, notice that had nothing to do with the product. Right. The products are part of that because the products are going to be born of the strategy. And if we have a product and you purchase a product independent of strategy, it's not going to perform the way you want it. And unfortunately with insurance, there's a few things that can take you down. And an uncovered claim 
is one of them because it could be huge. It could be catastrophic. And so the question I'd ask to you know, the business community, do you know that you have all your exposures covered? Again, hope is a bad, a bad strategy. Mm-hmm. When your head hits a pillow, like, do you know? And if you don't, I'd suggest I'd get that. I, I would get that knowledge. So that comes from, you know, like you were saying, that's the consultative nature of having somebody who knows insurance come in and look at what you're doing and then look at what you have and be like, hey, did you know that what you're doing is not covered in this particular document anywhere? And what's interesting is I think if you talk to any business owner who's who's been around for, I mean, in this market, things are changing so fast, let's say five or six years. How many businesses are doing exactly the same thing in exactly the same way today that they were doing it five or six years ago? Right. Whether they've added a new product or a new service or a new location or a new delivery method or a new... You know, like I don't know. I mean, we the the uh, the tale of the last 10, 11 months has been remote workforces. Sure. So I have no idea what Workman's Comp has to say about remote workforces or what general liability or what you know. If I got if now if I have do I have customers showing up in people's driveway to pick up samples because they were coming to a showroom that's closed and you know like these are things that the landscape has changed. Has anybody? Have the business owners stopped to talk about uh, here's, or, or maybe not even talk about? I, it, it's funny because we could, we, you could have a business owner sit down with you and describe to you what they think's changed, but then you could go sit and look and be like, well, there's a lot of stuff here you left out. Sure. Like you skipped over a lot of little pieces here. No, absolutely, and, that, and that's that's really our job is to line up to learn about the operations. And then to match up coverages that meet that operations. And then take a look at what things could happen and put mitigation strategies into place ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Disaster mitigation strategies, employee strategies. The risk comes from a wide variety of different things. There's technological risk. Somebody coming in and cybercrime and ransomware and phishing where they're asking you to wire money away and, 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 and theft that way from physical risk. You know, we wreck a car, we have a building, you have workers' compensation to credit risk, clients not paying us to employee risk. Uh, you know, we didn't qualify them as exempt versus non-exempt. Um, we had a manager that did this. Um, to outside shareholders if you have partners coming in. So all those things need to ta- be taken into look at, and then, a, and then really a strategy needs to be born and put into place. And then once things happen, from a claim standpoint, how do we mitigate those and get those back so those don't impact us as we go down the road? Because no, make no mistake, anytime you have a claim, it's not, I have insurance for it. Well, what's, your opportunity cost is huge. Most people tell you that it's probably a dollar for dollar is what, what you're losing as a soft cost in your time, in your lost efficiency, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, very, very important to understand that. And uh, again, take a look at it from a holistic standpoint. Hi, this is Devin Dash at Axiom Strategic. And we just wanna take a moment to, to break in our episode. And first of all, just thank you for listening. And the second thing we wanna inform you of is a special series that we're gonna be doing where we wanna answer your burning questions. If you're a business owner 
or you're a professional working for a business and you have a burning question um, that we can put our minds to and, and maybe help you you know, think strategically about, do not hesitate to, to reach out to us. We're going to be putting together a string of episodes where we're going to be answering your questions. You can email us your questions at podcast at axiomstrategic.com or you can visit our website axiomstrategic.com, visit our podcast page, and there will be a form that you can fill out and get us your questions that way. I want to thank you again for listening, and now back to the episode. So if you're if, if I'm a business owner out there listening and let's say I've I've got a a ten million or a fifteen million or twenty million dollar business and I go, Well, you know, I'm I I know who my broker is, you know, I see him once a year or twice a year maybe or right. um like what what should small business owners be doing proactively to make sure that these these I don't want to say just the conversations are being had because it sounds like it's about more than just a conversation. I think there's probably lots of conversations. Oh, there's right? conversations, but like, conversations beget action. Okay, so what should a, what would be the hallmarks of a small business owner, a relationship or or boxes getting ticked or actions being taken that would allow them to go to sleep at night, you know, at peace yeah. or like you shouldn't go to sleep at peace. You should have a little bit of anxiety and take some action. Well, I think I think the, there's several questions you need to ask as a small business owner. Number one, what is it that my broker is doing that is proactively making my business better? Answer that question. If you have trouble answering that question, you you got the you have a problem. Reactive stuff. Everybody should be doing. You shouldn't be in the business if you can't handle the reactive side of our business. To use a sports analogy, you know, I'm a baseball guy. Everybody can catch the ball. Everybody should be able to throw the ball at the major league level, right? Every poker should be able to do the reactive side. But what are you getting proactively that's actually making your business better? That's the question. That is the question that you should be asking. And from that, everything will flow from, from there because there's so many things that you should be getting that will help you navigate your business so that you can focus on what you want to focus on, which is making that consistent earning stream. My thought is most entrepreneurs understand their business so they can, they can navigate the landscape of their business. What tends to take them to the side is when they have things happen to their business that they haven't planned for or they haven't protected properly. Mm. Is there anything you you and your team see like over the next 12, say 12 to 18 months that you believe is going to be particularly challenging for small business owners? Yeah, I think a couple things. I mean, number one, I think technology. I think cybercrime is going to be on the rise. It already has, and it's, it's, it's rampant already. So make sure that you have the proper protection from a cyber standpoint. Very, very important. Um, People are able to come in, crack firewalls, do other types of things, ransomware. It, it's I, I, you're going to see a, a, a huge increase in that. Um, we also are seeing an, a huge increase, especially with COVID, um, with employment-related claims. Employees coming, um, rights being violated, wage and hour issues, types of things. So you're seeing a, a large increase in that. Um, and then lastly, just, uh, you know, 
I think the, the strategic business owners with rates rising from a property insurance standpoint should start taking a look at what types of risk reduction activities they can take to help keep their premiums down because property insurance premiums in the state of Florida are going up because of the big wind and the big wind has blown and is blowing. So that is always an issue. And so property owners are going to continue to see escalating rates. So what steps can we take maybe from our CapEx budget that can help improve our product property? Or if you can't do that, what types of things can we do that help to mitigate our risk? Maybe, maybe we have two buildings now and we can go back and forth between one, maybe other types of things. So uh, having a strategy on how to deal with the, the property insurance rate increases, we're seeing, a, we're seeing a spike in that as well. When you're, uh, when you're getting involved with a brand new business, like a new business to you, uh, are there any like common things that you see that you're like, these are kind of the usual suspects, the, the things that aren't being paid attention to or the areas that are being missed? Oh, absolutely. I mean, not always. I mean, not always, but a- absolutely. Um, I, I think what ends up happening, unfortunately, if I ask most business owners, you know, what do they know about risk management? Typically, not much. What steps are they taking within that? Who, who handles that? Uh, well, our CFO handles that, or maybe the business owner says, I handle that. Well, and, and to what skill set are you trained to handle these risks? And typically, it's not much. So the number one thing is most people spend about, on the renewal date, 30 days out. <laughs> yeah. You know, I call it I-90. <laughs> I-90, 90 days before, we're going to go take a, maybe take a look at this. We're going to call our broker, and basically we're going to copy all our mistakes from the past and renew. <laughs> and I, I, I'm going to employ that you should be RM365 instead of I-90, risk management 365 days a year. You're running your business 365 days a year. The fact of when you renew a product really should be inconsequential to your business, if you, if you think about it. Second off is I think there needs to be greater transparency in our business. Um, we talked about that. It, it just goes with that. You know, how much is your broker getting paid? And what's he doing for it? Hmm. Those are not topics we hear often. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but it, it, I mean, well, it, 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 it's interesting, but uh, I mean, I say it kind of facetiously, but it is kind of an opaque, it's a black box. Like we as the customers have no idea. I mean, I've never been told what uh, a broker's making on something that I, per- a product that I purchase. And nobody's ever, and I've never been at, felt at liberty to say, and what are you doing for that money? It's almost like one question begets the other. But if you think about it, Joey, two things about that. Number one, why? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a paradox, why? Um, because, again, uh, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take a Fortune 500, Fortune 1000, they all buy that way, by the way, and trying to monetize it now down to a mid-market. Gotcha. If you're a small mom-and-pop shop with two employees, this, this really isn't right. for you so much. But if you're that $10 million, $20 million business, absolutely it is. Would, would you buy from an attorney without knowing his rate per hour? Would you buy... Uh, you know, go to your accountant without knowing what his fee structure is. Right. 
Um, we don't, as CEOs, we don't make purchase decisions unless we know the costs. Right. So what ends up happening is, well, we know what we're going to pay for the premium, but that there, there are two discernible things. There's what the insurance company gets paid for, for taking on the risk, and what the broker gets paid for what he does in representing you. And they're, they're, they're compl- you need to separate the two of those things and evaluate both of them. Maybe you have the right carrier that has the right risk profile. Maybe you have the right broker that's doing that, but not the wrong carrier. The, but the two are mutually independent of each other. And I would, I would uh, tell all business owners, you should know that answer. You, you really should. Uh, if you don't, that to me is a, is a warning because here's what happens. In the best relationships, there's an alignment of incentives, right? We're all after the same thing. Well, if I'm a broker and I'm making just commission, which there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I'm not advocating that that's wrong. But if your premiums go up, I get a pay raise. (laughs) If I'm able to go out and get you a reduction, I get a pay cut. That's not an alignment of incentive. (laughs) (laughs) Shouldn't it be the other way around? If you feel pain, I should feel pain. If you get gain, I should get gain. That's the way way it should work. But so getting back to your question, you know, what's the big aha with, with folks that I see? Most business owners don't think that way. And so the clients that we try to work with, there comes an aha moment that they, they get that. And quite frankly, if they don't get it, it's fine. But they're probably not a client for us. Hmm. Here's my card. Call me if you ever need me. Go about, go about your way, but that's, that's not, uh, that's not going to fit within our clientele portfolio. Right. That's awesome. Uh, it's also refreshing. I mean, it really is. It, it, it's a different paradigm than what has typically been expected in, in the industry. And I will tell you this. It's, it's kind of interesting, again, coming from Pittsburgh, right? The larger clients in Pittsburgh have been doing this way for a while. Florida just tends to be a little behind on that type of philosophy. So this isn't some new paradigm that I suddenly invented. I take no pride of authorship for this. This, this has been around for a while. Um, for, for, first, for the Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 clients, and then for some up in the Northeast from some larger middle market companies. That has been the way for, for many, many years. So it, it's nothing new. I, uh, I just copy it. But down here, I don't see that taking hold or as a root as much as I do up in the Northeast. Yeah. It's an, uh, I like it because it kind of parallels what we try to do, which is bring the kind of consultative uh, methodologies and tool sets that are available to much, much larger companies down to small business and mid-market companies. And it's sure. like, like, like you said, it's not something we created. Uh, the only spin we have it on it is we're trying to make it more accessible to the smaller businesses that need it sure. and should have access to it. So I like the idea that you're taking something that's common in much larger companies and saying, why shouldn't the smaller businesses benefit from this? Absolutely, because then you can evaluate what I'm doing. And guess what? If I'm not delivering that proactive service, you should fire me. Right. You could keep your keep your you can keep your coverage with Hartford. Right. You can fire me. I, it, it really it aligns incentives and allows everybody to work 
transparency because, quite frankly, I like it because I'm going to do a really good job and then I'm going to ask for a pay raise. Right. <laughs> and you're going to be glad to give it and to me be because I'm going to deliver you value. Yeah. And that is a great way to wrap up our time together. Everybody's going to give John a pay raise. Love like, it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, John, for, uh, for being so generous with your time today. Um, it's been, I mean, it's, it's a great way for us to cap off the week for sure, kind of a, a highlight of the week for us to be able to spend this much time with you and dig deep on leadership topics and CEO topics and industry expertise. So thank you very much. We really appreciate you being here. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Joe. All right. See us back next week for another podcast. Until then, uh, have a great week. Well, we're going to stay on for a second just to see. I mean, is there anything you guys want to talk about? Anything jump out at you that we could take up off the record? Well, on the record, but... On the record, off the... <laughs> in the after show. Cameron was... I don't think you uttered a word the entire time, so we should put you on the spot to ask John. Yeah, you know, being my first one, I wanted to see how the experts did it. On that side of the table, right? Not this side. No, certainly not this side. Flattery will get you nowhere. No, I, I mean, I noticed this underlying theme of everything you said of humility. And, I mean, it's just so encouraging for me to hear that. And, uh, you know, the funny thing about humility, I think it's like C.S. Lewis quote, like as soon as you start talking about it, it runs away, you know. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, you're demonstrating it through your actions. I'm curious, have you seen that rub off on your employees? Like, have you seen your employees begin to take a more humble nature after they spent more time in the company? Has that been demonstrated yes. anyway? And yeah. that's, that is my greatest joy. Mm. That is one of my greatest joys. Uh, but, yes, I have. And... And, and really, and it, it comes back to, by example, right, and how culture is born and how something. And, and, and I may have, you know, one of, our, one of our leaders have one of their team members, and he may have reacted a certain way. And it's kind of nice that I can then, again, with the door closed, off to the side, kind of have a discussion and say, you know, let's, let's, let's unpack this on why you why you reacted this way. You didn't respond first off, you reacted. Mm -hmm. And let's, let's kind of talk through that a little bit. And then, you know, we kind of say, let me ask you a question. And, and again, it's the ability to speak truth into people. If that were you and this was me, how do you think I would have reacted? How would I have responded to this? Well, you probably would have done this. I said, well, go and do likewise. <laughs> and, 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 and it's, it's kind of, if, if I give you grace, then I expect you to give grace. If I, you know, if, if I'm pushing you, then I expect you to push. And it's, it's trying to, to, to facilitate the DNA down within your own personality. You're never going to do it my way because you're not me. But absolutely, I, 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 that's one of the greatest things I like to see. And getting back to the whole spouse thing, I really like bringing Amy involved in some of it because... At that now I can show by example marriages. Mm -hmm. I can show by example sometimes my kids show up. Mm -hmm. Kids that you know we're real people with real things, with real life, with real um, and and you know you're, you're just authentic and you're real and and I it, it's been really a joy to me to start to see 
how people start changing their lives or doing, or somebody saying, you know, hey, I'm starting to go to church now. Hey, I'm start, I, I, I finally, after two years, I'm starting to read that book that was sitting on my bookshelf for two years <laughs> that you gave me, um, that are, are starting to ask some questions maybe. Um, and, and that's, because at the end of the day, business is just business. Um, we can't take it with us. There's no internal value to it. It's, um, so it, it's really neat to kind of see when people start to, to get it a little bit and they start treating each other that way and they're quick to admit their faults because they know there's not some booby trap sitting there as soon as, ah, thanks for playing, you made a mistake, should see you later, find a new career. Right. You know, they, they understand that, that, that there's understanding for that. But there, what there's not understanding for is trying to hide a mistake. So just admit it. Yeah. Like in both of those, like that idea of, of creating an environment where it's safe, right? It's safe to admit your mistakes. It's safe for us to, you know, for, for you to fail. Um, and I, you know, it's funny. We, we have a lot of business owners who, I would say it's more often the case that we have business owners who are overly compassionate and overly graceful than ones who are you know, too harsh. It just seemed, I mean, despite all the stereotypes, that's not what we run into. We run into people who hang on to folks too long, right? Sure. Who, who, you know, it's 20 strikes and well, maybe, maybe we'll give you a warning, right? Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's always with, for us, uh, sometimes the struggle is like, we love the grace and the compassion where are the difficult conversations? Where are the close the door of the conversations? And like, hey, I noticed this. You know, if if that were me, how do you think I would have reacted to that? And it's like, it's encouraging for me to hear you talk about those so easily. Like, I mean, when you say it, it makes it sound like it happens all the day. And and, and you know, I've talked, and it does happen. We try every week, right? We, I mean, we it's, try. it happens a lot. Um, but it's you know, it's, I I think if there's one thing that if we could. Um, bottle up some part of John's skill set and sell that to clients, it would be that. It would be the ability to have those difficult conversations. But you can't just, we can't just bottle up that without bottling up all the other stuff you talked about, right? right? I mean, you can't, but until you have the goodwill, you, you hit the nail on the head when you were saying, um, if people genuinely believe that I have their best interest at heart, they will grant the goodwill to, when the door closes, they won't freak out. Right, they'll get nervous and be like, "Oh man, I did." And, and I, I, I kind of use that as my default early on in relationships with some people, especially if I think we're at an impasse and it's like, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I'll just stop and, and I'll look them right in the eyes. Joey, let me ask you a question. Do you trust me? Mm. And if the answer is yes, I said, "Then, then trust me." Let's go. Mm-hmm. And if the answer is no, then okay, now we can unpack and we're going to have a completely different <laughs> conversation, right? But, you know, if, if, yeah. because if we're at an impasse, do, do you trust me? And, and, then, and then you look and say, look, I'm not going to let you down on this. Yeah. One of the things we didn't talk about uh, that I, I probably should have, because um, I know it's important to you, is just the idea of mentorship. And I think a lot of business, I don't say, I, wanna, I don't want to presume a lot of business owners. I can imagine there are a lot of business owners um, and there is a there, there's an age gap that makes mentorship very appropriate. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, so I'm 
right. 20 years older than these guys. You're 20 years older than some of the key guys on your team. Right. And there is a, there's a desire on both sides of the fence for that mentorship. And you've gone out of your way to even kind of explicitly say, okay, we're going to go through this book, or we're going to go through this study, or we're going to go through this. Right. Uh, how long has that been going on, and how, I mean, has that been something you just recently started, or has it been there for a while? I mean, I'd like to think it's been there, but really with the, the younger guys, that they have only been here for four or five years. So, yeah. I mean, we kind of retooled our whole company about four or five years ago um, because from a commercial line standpoint, it was pretty much me and one other guy. And he was getting older, and he wasn't coming along for the ride. He was going to be retiring soon. So I had to make a strategic decision. Do I want to just keep what I have and kind of ride into the sunset, or do I want to try to create something new? And I wanted to create something new and grow a commercial lines presence. And that's when, you know, the, the whole Eileen thing started to come about as well. Okay. And uh, you're going to handle this. I'm going to go try to grow and create new ground. So, you know, we hired Paul maybe, what, four four or five years ago. Um, so that was the beginning of it because I really didn't, I always tried to mentor, but I, it was tougher to do because um, the relatability, um, nothing against it, just I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm me and, and I'm trying to mentor to, um, you know, a single mom who has one child. Right. And, I'm happy to do it, but we're not going through life together. Right. I mean, we're not going through the same issues. Whereas, you know, I have somebody that, that is, is, is a little more uh, in alignment. Hey, I, I went through that. Yep, I'm chewing the same mud you are. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, be it marriage, be it uh, aspiration for desire. You know, right. I see, like in Chris, I see a lot of myself in Chris. I was Chris. Mm-hmm. You know, to a certain extent, I still am. I, you know, so, and so I understand the aspiration and the lack of patience sometimes, and 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 I get that, and that's the strong suit. But so it, it's it's a lot easier to to do that. But uh, you know, my my greatest goal for is really to to invest time into them, and and quite frankly, that that came from C twelve. Yeah, and uh, Martin Newby hammering me. <laughs> Martin Newby hammers a lot of people. Yeah, and you would look at Martin and you would think <laughs> this is not a guy who hammers, but then he can look you in the eye and go, Joey, and you're like, oh, here comes the hammer. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's like, uh, but, you know, his whole thing was live a life capable of being blessed. Hmm. And when I started to do that, when I started to truly try to mentor when I tried to truly start to invest in people amazingly God took care of the business you know it's like well I can't let go of the business I have to work 75 hours well when I started letting go of the rope and starting to do it God's way business got better (laughs) it's like okay I see what you mean okay yeah and uh yeah, so, I mean, just trying to live in the, 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 the boundaries of God. And, you know, typical, as Martin told me, you know, the, the blessings of God are found in the boundaries of God. Okay. <laughs> Stay within the boundaries. All right. Okay. <laughs> He's like Yoda. He's just <laughs> well, so you, kind of the other side of that coin, you, you know, we're talking about you mentoring Chris and Paul, et cetera. 
And then you mentioned some people that have mentored you, your dad being one, Absolutely. Martin being another. Who are some other you know, figures in your life that you've just looked up to, that have mentored you, that have got you to where you are today? Oh, sure. There's, I mean, I've had quite, uh, quite, quite a few. Um, and it, it's, uh, and they, they come from all different types, and probably some of the people may not even know that they ever did. I just learned, uh, learned from them. I mean, I, th I think certainly, you know, I, I'd say my partner has really helped quite a bit because, again, I never really aspired to this, but he encouraged me to take it on. Um, he helped me out. He, he let me skin my knees with grace, helped, let me learn by example. So, uh, you know, that was, that, that's been very, very helpful. Um, you know, earlier on, I had, uh, I had some pretty good coaches in my life. Um, that, that helped help me try to achieve to be the best that, that I could be. Um, you know, I, I used to work for Coalition Christian Outreach, the guy who was running that uh, was very, very influential because he just was one of those guys that everything he did, he did with ease. He <laughs> spoke with ease, he was around people with ease. And, 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 and you know, so you can kind of see that, but I would say the, the biggest group of people, my life changed because when, when I went through that and I came through the other side was right when I started to really start to get into C12 at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that's really when I started to listen to the wisdom of some, some people sitting around the table. So the, the biggest influences on mine have probably been from C12. Um, you know, and I, I remember Martin, it was Martin that did it and it goes, you know, so John, you know, what's what's most important to you? And I know the answers. I've been around long enough, right? Oh God, yeah, yeah, my relationship with God. Yeah. And then what else? Oh, my, my 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 relationship with my wife and my family. Okay, he goes. So you're telling me you're working all these hours. What's your calendar look like? And I'm busy and busy. It's like a badge, right? And what's your checkbook look like? Huh? He goes. Am I missing something here? <laughs> These two aren't congruent. And, and so Martin really was the one that challenged me that, that my calendar shouldn't be a to-do list. It should be a reflection of who I am. My, that's really, and, and my checkbook shouldn't be an expenditure. It should be the signature of who I am. And, 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 and he said something I'll never forget. He goes, just show me a man's calendar and show me a man's checkbook. I'll tell you whatever, everything you need to know about that man. Yeah. And that, that kind of resonated with me. So I really tried to reclaim my time. I tried to reclaim what I'm trying to do. And uh, God has really blessed that. It's a little convicting. Yeah, Martin, Martin has that way. Martin, Martin is that way, isn't he? Well, it's, you said something that uh, I've heard. I've seen an action before too, which is, I think there are times when people just need to give us permission to do something. Like either we get wrapped up in our own head and, and we don't believe that we can. And I think of a couple of instances where um, there was an instance where one of our brand new clients, um, CEO and, and a strong believer, and com in conversation with him one day, I said, you know, I think somebody just needs to give you permission to make your faith an explicit part of the business. Like you have the desire, but for some reason you've bought into the idea that these two should be separate. And it's okay, like you can, you can make that part of, you can make your ministry part of your CEO role. Right. And he went on to do just that, like unequivocally, like almost like 
it was easy. Once somebody said, you can do that, um, my wife gave me permission. When, I'll never forget the, the time we were, I was in a, an international tax conference in Miami, and we had, uh, Andrew was five, year, five months old at the time or so, and I had to be down there for like three or four days, and I said, why don't you come down? You can stay in the hotel. We'll be able to go to dinners together, hang out at the pool together, but during the day, you know, I'll just be doing my, my seminar thing. And so the last day of the conference, we're there, and I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't think this is what I want to do. I'm, we're spending all this money, the firm's spending all this money to have me down here, and this is not what I want to do. And she looked at me in the mirror, and she goes, we both know you're going to start your own business one day. Just go out and do it. She has lived to regret those words. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, you know, She it's, probably just didn't want to go to any more tax conferences. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was it. I've never considered that part. But that idea of just being in a spot, especially, you know, I mean, you're, you're very accomplished. Um, people respect you. I can imagine that John's permission, whatever it might be for a, a Chris or a Paul or an Eileen or, you know, like, and, mm-hmm. and you've kind of already said this, you know, in, in some of the uh, affirming that we, we talked about during the podcast of affirming with criticism. But I imagine there's lots of cases where you just affirm, you know, you're just like, this is... But uh, almost like the prospective affirmation, like yeah, you, you can, you can do. I know you can do this. Why don't you just go do it? You know, I, that's that's really good. And you know what? Quite frankly, this has been that's real, that's some good counsel because I need to do more of that hmm. in in my is you know. Hey, Chris, you know when 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 you're having your team meeting, it's okay if you want to pray. Right, it, right, you know, right, it's okay you, right. you know we, we have our meeting and you have you have your own meetings yep. that I'm not part of I said you know hey if if, if you're comfortable it would be okay yeah and uh, to, to affirm him that that would be fine if you wanted to do that yeah so that would be good good to, to take away it's a to-do action Good. All right. We'll have Devin add it to your official <laughs> agenda for next week. Make Chris pray. <laughs> you think Chris is going to listen to Chris or Paul? We should just call him out like right here. And there's like any embarrassing stories you want to talk about, oh, Chris or Paul? Too many. I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, John. This has been a lot of fun. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. All right.